We're going to do a slightly different approach this evening. The passage that I've got from Mark splits quite nicely into four sections. And so what I thought we'd do is we'd read a small section and then I'd say a few words about it. And then I've asked Jonathan to help us to pray in response to what we've heard together this evening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are a little bit at the mercy of technology here, but we thank you that you are in control of everything. And Father, too often we rattle off that phrase that you are in control and it doesn't touch our hearts. It doesn't give us confidence. It doesn't give us enthusiasm to uh, really live out what we believe. And so, Father, we pray that as we learn about uh, the growth of your kingdom and as we see the power in that little seed of the gospel that goes out. Father, may the fact that you are in control, that you are powerful, really change our behavior and change the way we see the world. Please speak to our hearts through your word this evening. And even though we can't meet up together, may we really enjoy a time of fellowship, both with one another and also with you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Good evening. Tonight's reading is taken from Mark chapter four verses 21 to 25. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Well, this is the first of these four little sections. And what I want to say, first of all, is that there is a theme underlying all of them. And there is a progression from one thing to the next. So these four things that we're looking at tonight follow the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower that Chris told us about last week. And you remember in that parable, the sower, the farmer goes out, sows the seed, and then it lands on different kinds of soil. And on the good soil, the seed grows up and there's a huge crop, 30 times or 60 times or 100 times what was sown, massive crop. And that naturally raises some questions. It raises questions like, what do we need to do to be that good soil? And how does it all happen? How does the kingdom of God grow like this? And these four little sections this evening answer those questions. This first one really answers the question, what do I need to do to be good soil? And it's a bit cryptic, not least because it uses uh, an illustration that Jesus uses in Matthew in a slightly different way. So let's talk about that first of all. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Now, you'll probably remember in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, neither do you take a lamp and put it under a basket or some. He uses very similar words. Now, all of the gospel accounts are summaries of Jesus's teaching. 
And so it may be that he used this illustration more than once, or it may be that we're getting two snippets of what is actually a much more complicated parable. So you've got your lamp. Here we go. Uh, obviously not, an, uh, not a phone <laughs> back in the day, but you want it there. And a lamp both shines. You can see the light itself and it sheds light on whatever it falls on. So in Matthew's gospel, the messenger is the light. We are the light of the world. We are bringing that message of light, shedding light on things like sins, but also God's goodness and God's forgiveness, and also bringing hope where there is none before. So we are the light of the world. But here in Mark, the light is something slightly different. It's not so much the messengers as the message. Because it says whatever is hidden, not whoever, whatever. We're talking about a what now is meant to be. Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. It's this lamp shining here. And that message, if we go back a little bit, to look at what we saw last week, the parable of the soils. Jesus said, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, disciples. But to others, it's spoken in parables. And it's this secret that seems to be just coming into the open. It's just dawning. And so. As that secret comes out, this message of God's love, the message of Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, and all that that was about, Jesus says, consider carefully what you're, what you're hearing. It's this secret that's coming out. Consider it carefully. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With what measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they do have will be taken from them. So you've got the parable of the soils and there's this good soil that takes up the seed and the plants spring up and grow. And it's like the light has fallen on them. But what do you do with this light? Are we good students of the light that has fallen on us? Claire loves teaching A-level students because A-level students want to be there. And so... What they learn, they absorb and they want more. And what they learn actually shapes the direction of their future lives. Often they've chosen A-levels because they want to pursue a particular career. Jesus asks us to be students like that, considering carefully what we hear. Now, there are two, I've picked a couple of ways that we could be bad students. I mean, we could be lazy students and You've got to ask the question, when there are preachers at Christchurch Harpenden looking out over the congregation, do they see any lazy students? Do they see any people in the congregation who have not gone into the sermon with the attitude of, I am going to consider carefully what I'm hearing here? I think it's a trap we all fall into because we are so used to being entertained we wait for the preacher to grip our attention. And if that doesn't happen, we go away disillusioned. But it's because we haven't gone into the sermon 
ready to consider carefully what we hear. I point the finger on myself as much as anyone else. And yet, are there people like that in the congregation? Are you one of them? Perhaps are your children one of them or, or children for whom you might be responsible? Perhaps as a Sunday school teacher or whatever. I think uh, it is worth us bringing Jesus' challenge to the table with people like that and saying, when you listen to a sermon, don't wait until you're gripped before you start to listen carefully. Go in there with the attitude of, I'm going to consider carefully what I hear, because that is what Jesus wants me to do. And it is only when I do that, that I become this good soil that takes the seed in and then brings about this amazing harvest. Your life as a Christian will not resemble an amazing harvest until you go to God's word, to ready to consider carefully what you're hearing. We're going to respond in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through your word, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have been preaching to us now as we have been looking and listening to what you have said and what your Spirit says to us now. I pray, Lord, that we might listen with our hearts as well as our ears, and your word and your truth would be a bright light to our lives, that your light would reveal our faults and show us how much we depend on you. Lord, let our lives be a reflection of your glory so that others may see you in us and want to know you for themselves. Amen. Amen. Turn back to your Bibles now, and we're going to have our second reading. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So, going back to our big theme, first of all, we've got this underlying idea of the invisible power of God, because Jesus has taught about the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. And there's this ground that has yielded a fantastic harvest. And we're asking the questions, what do I need to do to be that good ground? And how does this all happen? And the answer to the question, how does it all happen, relates to God's invisible power. And we see that coming out quite a lot in the next three passages from God's word. So it talks about... A man scattering seed on the ground. And he says, whatever this farmer does, once he's sown that seed, it's going to start to grow. It's automatic. It's like turning the ignition in a car. You don't have to have a Flintstones-like car where you're sort of running underneath it to keep the car going. 
once you've started it, it goes. Which is an encouragement to us when we're evangelizing. And we might just be able to slip in a little word and not really follow it up very much. But a seed has been sown and the harvest will grow. But it does take time. Imagine a farmer goes out of his or her house and uh, sows the field. And then the next day walks out and goes, oh, no, there is not a plant in sight. <laughs> that doesn't happen, does it? Because it takes time for the plant to grow. And I think quite often we're quite impatient and we want to see things taking place immediately. And there is a lot to be said for following somebody up and just saying to them, have you thought about what you what I told you the other day or what you read? There's definitely a lot to be said for that. But. It's automatic. It's God's invisible power working in the background. And over time, God will achieve something with what you've said. Now, I just want to say that this gives me amazing confidence because say I took a phone back back in time, 400 years or something. Now, if I wanted to show the people back then, and I've kind of always wanted to do this, all the amazing things that a phone can do. I would just get my phone out. And even if I would just switch the torch on, you know, that's that's quite amazing. And uh, I would have no embarrassment about the phone. I'd have no worries that it would fail me, apart from if the battery was dead. Let's assume the battery's alive and good. Um, I'd just switch it on and I'd show them. And I'd say, look at this. Wow, look at that. Isn't that cool? And too often we're nervous when we're speaking to people about Jesus because we don't have confidence in the, the power and awesomeness of God's invisible power lying behind his message. We have believed it, obviously, which is why we're Christians, but it hasn't affected us so much that we just have so much confidence. We have no embarrassment about saying to people, Christ came to earth to save sinners. You will one day stand before God and give an account. What are you going to say to him? And when he asks you, what have you done with my son? What are you going to say? And so let's all pray that we have a load of confidence in God's invisible working power so that we know that each individual word that we say is accompanied by God's power and God's Holy Spirit. And let's pray that that would be the case as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that our hearts may be well cultivated, receptive and wide open to whatever truth you have for us. Lord, we thank you that it is your mighty power that grows the kingdom. I pray that your spirit will be at work mightily in us as we do the work you have given us in Baldock, Letchworth and wherever we are. May we not hold back in any way from planting the seeds of your truth that your mighty spirit will nourish and grow in the hearts of unbelievers. And Lord, thank you that we can share in your joy as we see your abundant harvest brought in. Amen. Amen. And I'd like to share a prayer with you that I am praying a lot at the moment. And 
it's a prayer that really comes from a, a kind of anxiety. When I look at churches that are successful and I see that one of the things they've got is often an amazing business model and lots of money and a good advertising strategy and things like that. And this pang of anxiety goes through me. What if, what if there is no power there? What if it is just all of those things that draw people into the church? And so join me in praying this. I'm praying that God will build his church in such an unmistakable way through us today in Bulldog that we can't point to any single thing or any group of things that we've done and said, look, what a great job we did. But instead, we can only say, thank you, God, you have clearly been at work here and your invisible power. We just have so much confidence in it now. We've seen you at work and you have built your church. So join me in praying that and uh, let's anticipate seeing God at work in the near future. And now let's have our next passage of scripture. Mark chapter four, verses 30 to 34. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Well, I think the basic message of this parable is quite straightforward, isn't it? A mustard seed, the proverbial mustard seed is very small and a tree is very big. And so Christ's kingdom started in a very small and insignificant way and grew very great. It was uh, so small that when Christ was standing before Pontius Pilate, Pilate couldn't even take seriously his claim to be a king. It, it was his popular movement even was just so insignificant. He wasn't even a threat to Pontius Pilate. And so you remember he was just mocked by the Roman soldiers. That's how insignificant the start of his kingdom was. So when you look at uh, your copy of Great Civilizations and you look at all the kingdoms of the world and how amazing they are, the kingdom of God is not in there because the tree hasn't fully grown yet. And perhaps we're still a sapling in the ground. We like to think that, uh, well, I don't know really, where do we place ourselves in this parable? Are we still at the seed stage or are we the full grown tree or somewhere in between? It's difficult to say, and we can perhaps read into the parable a little bit too much. But the point is that you've got this tiny little seed. Now, I didn't have any mustard seeds, but I've got sesame seeds, which are about the same size. And, uh, you know, I've got some here and I'm just sort of, there you go. They've just gone all over the floor. And there are so many of them on the floor that I can't count them. And it was just a, a small pinch, really. I'm not going to pick them up and use them again. I'll probably just hoover them up. They're just totally insignificant. And if I pick up a single one here, there's just nothing to it. It's tiny. But in every seed, of course, there is potential and there is power. If you want to carry on this idea of God's invisible power, there is power to grow. And um, each seed carries the ability to grow into a much greater plant. Christ is talking here about a seed which grows into a great tree. 
And this tree, I mean, a seed doesn't does nothing that a tree does. It it doesn't sit on the landscape and sort of complete the landscape. It doesn't provide any shelter for birds. It doesn't provide any shade for people. And so as the seed grows, the kingdom doesn't do everything that we would want it to do and expect it to do. Christians are out changing the world for the better, but not in the way that we would like to see. The church isn't as united as we would like it to be, the global church, I mean. Christians sadly sometimes bicker between themselves, sadly become quite insulated and look inwards and not outwards. And all of these, these problems come about, but we're still a sapling, we're still growing, and we're coming from a, a tiny, insignificant seed. But the kingdom of God is growing. And I just want to share with you one quotation that brought this truth to life for me when I was reading about it and really encouraged me. It encouraged me to be, uh, if I can put it this way, proud of the fact that I'm part of a church, proud of the fact that I go to church on Sunday, um, not embarrassed about it and really confident in it. It's all to do with God's invisible power lying underneath. And it's this. Did you join the Christian church because it's big or because it's alive? Of course, we joined it because it's alive. It has all the potential of a tiny seed. And I'm excited about that. So once again, before we change tack slightly and look at one of the miracles of Christ, Moving on from the parables, let's respond in prayer to what we've seen of this parable of the mustard seed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we may bring forth much fruit and so be your disciples. Lord, we are sorry that so often we think that being outwardly impressive as a church makes us alive. Lord, it is only you that makes us alive by the power of your spirit through the teaching of your word. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be renewed and refreshed by your mighty power at work in us, even though we feel weak. We pray too for all those involved in mission throughout the world and especially for those we support as a church. For Will and Doretta, for Sarah, for Gareth and Alison, Steve and Natasha, Chris and Catherine and for Michael and Rachel. Lord, we pray that all those seeds that have been sown will grow and bear fruit for your glory. Amen. Amen. Now, as I said, we're going to move to our fourth Bible reading now. And instead of being a parable, as the previous ones have been, it's a miracle of Christ. And in today's world, some people find the miracles difficult to believe. And so I'm going to share with you something that I shared with my home group and they found it helpful. So uh, if you don't, then you can blame them. <laughs> but it's just something to help explain why 
so many of us find the miracles so difficult to believe in today's world. And it goes back to the Enlightenment and the story we tell ourselves about why we think the way we think today. You know, we're quite uh, keen on science and we tell ourselves a story of how we got there. And this is the kind of story that we tell. I'm going to use some of Joshua's blocks. This is uh, what the Enlightenment has done. At the bottom here, you've got reason, human reason, our ability to look at things logically, to look at evidence and weigh it up. And then on top of that, you've got religion and you've got superstition. And the story that the Enlightenment people, the Enlightenment thinkers will, will tell us, the popular way of accounting for how we think today is that what we've done is we've taken away superstition and, you know, we've, we've stripped away religion. So all we're left with now is reason and logic. And we can have confidence in that foundation because we're back to the base. We're back to the foundation, the root of everything. And we can weigh up the evidence for ourselves and build conclusions upon that. We've stripped away all of that unhelpful faith stuff. But in that story of how the Enlightenment worked, they've actually missed out something. And it's that something that gives us the, the key to why parables for a lot of people today are quite difficult to believe. So back to square one, let's tell a different story. This is the, the story of the Enlightenment as seen through a Christian's eyes. You've got reason, human reason and logic here at the bottom, and you've got religion and faith on top. And during the Enlightenment, they did strip away faith, superstition. They did strip away religion. But they also added something. And what they added was the assumption that nothing can exist outside of what we can see, uh, taste, smell, uh, feel, measure, observe, think. Uh, in other words, they added in a naturalistic uh, viewpoint, the, the viewpoint that there is nothing outside of our known universe. And what's important to remember is that that assumption is not part of reasoning and logic. It is a religious viewpoint added to it. But they don't tell you that, of course. They tell you this story where it's just like we stripped away superstition and, and now all we're left with is reason so we can have confidence. Not true. There is a different story going on and they have added something that is as much faith-based as any religion. And that is in faith, they say there is no God. And there is no supernatural and there is no miraculous. So now that I've explained that, what I want us to do is as Jenny reads this next part of God's word to us, I want us to look for a few details in the text which actually suggest that this really is an eyewitness account. Things like there were other boats with the boat that Jesus was in. Things like he was asleep on a pillow. Things like the, the people who were actually eyewitnesses were terrified. If you're telling a story about yourself, uh, you don't really want to look bad in it. And the people here do for all sorts of reasons. Look out for all of these little hints that what we're reading really is an eyewitness account. Mark chapter four, verses 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. 
a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Thank you, Jenny. There's great drama in that reading. So thank you for that. I just really want to draw your attention to one thing. And that's uh, something that sort of fits into this flow that we've been looking at. We've had the parable last week of the soils or the sower and the seed gets scattered on this good ground and upbursts an amazing harvest. And the question going through our mind is, how do I become the good soil? We've seen that being good students of the word. And we also asked the question, well, how does it all happen? And we've seen a little bit of God's invisible power making it work. And the parables, of course, are all from agriculture, that seeds growing up. We don't have to do anything for that to take place. That's out of our control. And God is at work here building his church. Now, what I want to draw your attention to is what the disciples say to Jesus when they first wake him up. They say to him, as Jenny read for us, teacher, don't you care if we drown? But one thing they've missed here is this invisible power behind everything. And that's because they call Jesus teacher. Now, Jesus was a teacher, that's true. But if all he was was a teacher, then the true meaning of these parables hasn't sunk into their hearts. Because a teacher on their own can't bring about this amazing, powerful change and growth that Jesus has been talking about. And if they'd said, Lord, don't you care if we drown? That would have had a different emphasis. And in fact, if they had said, Lord, maybe they wouldn't be asking the question, don't you care if we drown? Because there would be confidence there in God's invisible power. Now, this parable obviously shows Jesus's power over the wind and the waves. And uh, it really all builds up to the question, who is this man? What kind of man is this? The disciples ask at the end. And we'll actually see the answer to that question next time when we move on to look at the next story that Mark recounts. And we hear the answer from quite an unexpected place. It's the lips of one of Jesus's enemies. But who is this? And so that's just the question I'd like to leave with you this evening. Who do you say that this man who taught these parables and who calmed the storm is? Who is he? What kind of man is he?